Hi, I'm the Strategist Cowboy. Today I am going to review a Russian Imperial Stout, a barrel-aged Swedish ale. It is a very expensive beer to purchase. Actually, it is the single most expensive beer I have tried on this show. It is tapped in a small standard size European bottle as well. This week's beer is thus the Lorelei Barrel Aged. Let's get ready to rumble! Our first and only contestant for this week is thus the Lorelei Barrel Aged Assortment. A very strong ABV ale from the craft beer brewery Omnipolo in Sundbyberg in the city of Stockholm. Omnipolo is not a Swedish word. I guess it's a Greek word, um, but I don't know. Their brewery is located in an old church. The beer assortment contains water, barley malt, oat malt or oat, toasted coconut and maple syrup. But I can, I, can, I can find no information about there being any hops in it. There is no best before date on this particular beer bottle for some reason, but I purchased this beer in late January 2023. The bottle contains 33 centiliters, i.e. about 11 liquid ounces, which is a standard size bottle in Europe. The bottle is clean from text and pasted labels. And I don't know what the image is supposed to portray. The upper body of an alien being or what? It almost looks so by the shape of it. This beer cost me a whopping 95.4 Swedish kronor, i.e. 9 US dollars and 25 cents. That is 3 US dollars and 36 cents per 4 ounces of beer. It hurt my wallet. I wouldn't have purchased it if, it, if I hadn't forgotten my reading glasses. I couldn't read out the price tag correctly. The preferred serving temperature for the Lorelei barrel aged is, according to Sustainable Logget, 14 to 16 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 57 to 61, to 61 degrees Fahrenheit. The bottle and the brewery says nothing about preferred serving temperatures. The Lorelei Barrel Aged Beer Assortment has got a whopping 12.5% ABV. 12.5%. Suck on that for a while, people. How about the experience then?
Okay, one moment. I'm gonna open it uh, in a one moment. I have um, took it, I took this beer out of the cooler a while ago, and then I put it back in to get the right temperature. It wasn't. It, it was. I had it in warm water, the bottle, and uh, it got a little bit too warm. But uh, it's okay now. It's uh, pitch black. Uh, the aroma is licorice and sugar, brown sugar preferably. Yes, the taste is liquid and perhaps, well, licorice, licorice and brown sugar. It's uh, got a zero, zero tall head, it's nothing. There's no head on it at all. First impression. Well, it's uh, a little bit sweet, but it's uh, it's natural for a porter or a stout. Uh, in this case, uh, a stout, I guess. Uh, my first impression is it's a good beer and it's a sweet beer. That's my first impression. And it's very rich, oily. Word bread like perhaps. But I don't sense much of the yeastiness in it, but it drowns perhaps in the other flavors or tastes. And the, the same with the maltiness. The same goes for the maltiness. Uh, it tastes on my palate. Liquor and uh, alcohol. Uh, l l liquor and... Uh, Licorice, but I can tell that I haven't poured liquor in this beer just to get it, make it stronger. They brewed this beer and uh, they did a good job on it. It's an it's an odd beer. Um, uh, characteristic, it's got characteristics. It's sweet more than dry, of course. It's very much sweet. Yeah, I don't sense, I don't think there's any hoppiness in it, hop, is, hop in it, and it's uh, still kind of bitter, a little bit, perhaps, uh, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps not. Is it candy-like? I'd say so. Yeah, but what candy? Licorice? 
I think it's candy-like because it's so sweet. And uh, uh, yeah. It's... Uh, A little bit of oatmeal taste in it, or yeah, perhaps or oats. I guess. I don't think it's very fruity. Uh, more licorice like, and They may, may, there may be, may very well be spices in it, but it's difficult. It's a, it's a complex beer in some way. And the undertone is an oily beer. It's not even the undertone, it's uh, the whole presence of it. Undertone is brown sugary, uh, or oh, maple syrup. As, uh, it, there is maple syrup in it, so yeah, I'd, I'd say that um, this uh, beer got a maple syrup taste, a maple syrup taste in some in some sense. But it can be mixed or um, mistaken for uh, brown sugar. Carbonation level, no, not very high. I, I, I bet. And it's... It's creamy, but not cream creamy, since there are so many prevalent flavors in it. But it's creamy in the consistency, or uh, uh, yeah, consistency. In its consistency, it's creamy. It's uh, it's smooth, but it's so strong that even if it's smooth, you can't drink it in one in one moment. You have to uh, sip on it very much so it's not acidic and there are no aberrations any every taste in it should is is there and should be there it's uh, is it filtered or unfiltered i don't know if they fit the quarters or stouts but uh, I don't sense any uh, that it is anyway. It's dark roasted, of course. Uh, let's see here. Let me let me go back up and look at the, what the ingredients in this beer was. Uh, contains water, barley malt, oat malt, toasted coconut. I don't sense a coconut in the taste, uh, but it drowns in the, this thick, oily beer. But it, it's it's you can say that it's there, but uh, you can't discern it. 
from, uh, for instance, uh, the sugary maple syrup uh, like taste. It's not so easy to do that, but okay. If you wish to, you can say that it's, it's coconut uh, flavor in it. Yeah, you can, and, and, it, and there is, so you should. And uh, I've learned something today. I usually do something, learn something. Uh, let's see here if there are any more tastes or flavors in it. Uh, The licorice is very prevalent in this beer. Licorice taste, licorice taste. Uh, but um, it's it's a little bit fudgy like, fudgy like also. Okay, what about grading then? Oh boy, this beer is going to get a high grading. So, but if it's worth ninety-five kroner or uh, what? It, what was it? Uh, Nine dollars uh, and. Uh, 25 cents. Uh, that's another question which I cannot uh, answer. It depends on your wallet, wallet's, wallet's thickness, I guess, or the thickness of your wallet. But uh, it's a very good beer. Uh, and they can price tag it very high, but they maybe have been done that, doing that. But, but uh, it's uh, a very good beer. So I grade this beer. Uh, For my personal taste, I'd grade it a nine devils out of 10 possible. But to be objective, I think that for a person in my age span would uh, often give this beer, if they knew anything about beers, 10 out of 10 devils. But it, I, I, I think it's a little bit, I, I'm not so much into stouts actually but uh, or russian stouts because they're they're often very they're they're very sweet and this one is too so nine devils out of ten possible for me okay absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines military or civilian drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underage or pregnant. This week's lesson I call the scientific approach on warfare. It is difficult to simplify a defense in, on four or five arenas and where the weapon systems cross the arenas, such as surface-to-air missiles, air-to-surface missiles, anti-ballistic missiles, and in anti-submarine warfare, coastal artillery, etc. But I make an attempt to simplify it. 
if we start from zero ground, we start from ourselves, the landscape, the topographic terrain, the environment, and the climate. This applies to the defense of our kingdom. If you fight in another country, it becomes difficult to build up a military force without almost constantly having to change your regulations, sensors, countermeasures, equipment, and material so that, that they are suitable for varying enemy psychology, stockpile, terrain, environment, and climate. No one can fight everyone. You should know your enemy and the characteristics of his sensors and countermeasures. On that, you develop a weapon slash sensor system or a combination of weapon systems that will mitigate each other's weak aspects. Or you buy a weapon system off the shelf, such as an air defense system that fits a certain tactical response against your enemy's most intrusive and versatile weapon systems, e.g. attack aircraft. One must always keep in mind the signal effect and range of weapon-slash-sensor systems, so that with the weapons one develops, one gains an advantage in range against the enemy's weapon platforms. This is called a threshold defense. If such standoff cannot be achieved, priority is given to stealth, robustness, camouflage, and weapon effect in the target. You combine the systems you have developed with other weapon systems that you develop, develop or buy off the shelf, and you develop an operational plan. Then it is really high time to plan for the logistics in more detail. I didn't do as I say, but I started from tank 122, i.e. a Leopard 2A5, the Leopard 2A5, and I built on step by step all the way to the last link in the chain, space. It was easier that way. But many corrections were required for each new arena that extends outward or laterally. The arenas I have in mind are the ground, air, sea, underwater, and space. These arenas all cross sections with each other in some way. Because when you have to counter one system with another or two or three arenas, over two or three arenas, it often requires different means than the opponent in their other arena in the other arena deploys. This is where a good operational planner comes into its own. When dealing with someone at the same arena, you can do it with equivalent weapon systems, e.g. in naval combat. But you don't always have to do that, especially not in ground combat. It is in ground combat that a good army tactician comes into his own. But even the army tactician has to play with at least two arena arenas 
primarily the air and ground arena. If he is an amphibious platoon commander, you can add an arena, the sea. It should be mentioned that UAVs are excellent as targeting aid devices, but sometimes forward fire guidance on the ground are required. UAVs are also excellent for linking communications and data in uncontested areas. Satellites are rarely optimized for tactical use unless combined with drones. Scientific concepts. Imagine a cross section for a two line intersection where the four ends are made up of at the top and bottom empiricism and rationalism. To the left and right are atomism and holism. In an angle under empiricism from left to right, we have positivism and humanist science. In an angle above rationalism from left to right, we have mathematical derivation and philosophy. These together make up a cross-section of possibilities. Operative art is mostly prevalent between the empiricism and atomism spectrum in the positivism direction. But operative art can also involve mathematical derivation. Grand strategy lies in the middle of the intersection, where the ends are made up of top to bottom, empiricism and rationalism, and left to right, atomism and holism. I believe that you cannot build up a defense worth the name if you constantly strive to get hold of the entire civil defense as a start and waste your gunpowder on thinking of ways to respond to the asymmetric attack defensively. We must start by building up a threshold capability worthy of the name and turning a blind eye to, or specifically handing over to MSP, matters relating to civil defense. Taking total defense into account, on the other hand, as a given place in every planning, such as with air bases, aerostat for sensors, phased array radar, local defense of the most important infrastructure, fortifications for logistics, the IT defense, anti-aircraft protection against missiles with systems of weapon systems, power plants, or electrical switch gears, etc. as targets. However, poisoning of water sources, which is unreasonable to imagine that we can be able to protect ourselves against. ABC protection for the population, shelters for the population, mobile networks, functioning electricity grids and other infrastructure for the citizens, but not necessarily for the military, cannot be considered by those who have took it upon themselves to solve the strategic timeout.
It is for this reason that I do not consider the strategic assault more than marginally in my two book series. Not that I don't think we will be subjected to an asymmetric attack, because I think we will. You'd have to be an idiot not to realize that our intended starting deployment can be spoiled by the enemy's use of asymmetric warfare. But I want to concentrate on the threshold ability so that we can build a defense worthy of the name. Once the threshold capability is reached, the civil defense issues are resolved more or less automatically. Starting with solving the civil defense issue leads to a continued defensive downward spiral in a situation where we cannot make a tactical retreat as Sweden remains where it is and Russia remains where Russia is for now. We will succeed in solving neither the issue of civil defense nor the strategic timeout if we focus all our efforts on civil defense. But if we realize that Sweden is located where it is and Russia is located where it is, we can only come to one conclusion, that we need air defense on Gotland, sensors, offensive weapons with standoff distance, and IT attack capabilities first and foremost, to achieve a good attack capability. But also the acquisition, acquisition of Aerostat, phased array OTH SW radar, more air reconnaissance radars, setting up of UAV companies, and the requisitioning of more military air bases, etc., would be welcome. Thank you and see you later, alligator, at a while, crocodile. Mm -hmm.